Man, it's glad to be here. Um, you know, two things that, you know, I get to be blessed to travel around and visit different churches and be in different churches and even pastor different churches. But two things I want to encourage you with. Number one, your worship is unbelievable. I've been in churches where I don't think anybody's worshiping or know how to worship. And I was probably one of those guys for a long time. And then becoming here and having been here a few times and been able to see some other churches, I just want to encourage you, it is not normal what you do on Sunday mornings. It is a collective effort. Not only do you have talent up here, you have talent out here. Uh, I did not contribute to that talent out here. I cannot sing and clap at the same time, nevertheless contribute and worship. But my heart is in it. But you guys are blessed. And then the other element to that really is Jeff and Julie. Um, We've known them for several years. Um, Yeah, please give them a round of applause. truly anointed, spirit-filled couple, truly believe in the power, and we'll get into this even too, the power of prayer. Just how God has used them, even as he has brought them into our lives several years ago, and and periodically we will be connected in ways that are only led by by the Lord. And uh, just know that he's a good one. Be encouraged by that, and so is Julie. So, and, And I don't say that as something I say often or probably actually never. So it's not something to try to get in his good graces or yours. It really really is just a message that the Lord wanted me to share with him and you. Um, But today, so what I want to do, so I am the director of national ministries for an international missions organization called Empower Ministries International. To give you just kind of a 30,000 foot view of what we do, we serve in over 40 different countries around the world. And basically what we do is we come where the spirit of God has raised up his national church in many different pockets, in many different countries around the world. What we do as a ministry is we come in and just basically like pouring gas on a fire. We get them all the resources and the things that they need, whether that be Bibles. 40% of what we do is truly believing in the power of God's word and getting into the hands of our national partners and leaders. The other things that we do are different things like pastor support, pastor training. Uh, We do a lot of compassion assistance, whether it be dealing and helping with the refugees over in the Middle East or whether it be compassion assistance for when a husband gets thrown in prison for being a pastor in his community, we help support the mom uh, with the children while they're away and while they can't work and, and be able to do what they need to do. We do a whole host of different things around the world for basically the purpose of, of spreading the gospel, reaching the lost, and making disciples. And we're very narrowly focused on that way, and it is a blessing to do that. Um, but today, I want to I weave a lot of that in. But I had a message for you that I felt that I've been praying for you guys, praying about what God wanted me to share with you. And it was sh- shamefully for me something that I've been wrestling with and something I've been dealing with. And I think sometimes even for me, God leads me down a road of a message to be able to share where he can prune and sift and work in me just as much as he works in you. And so I pray that together today we can learn a little something from the Lord as the Spirit of God speaks to us. So if you have your Bibles, uh, you can open them up, light them up, do whatever you need to do. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 3. My wife shared with me one time, we were talking several months ago, and, and it was in Psalm, you know, Psalm 46, 10, where the, where the ESV translated says, Be still and know that I am God. I need to be reminded of that very, very often because I'm the kind of guy that likes to just go and do it, right? I I need to go make it happen. We're going to manufacture whatever God we believe is putting on our heart. He needs my help because I got to go do something, you know, all that different thing. So I got to, sometimes I got to remember to be still. Well, the NASB translated it differently. And she came home from a Bible study one night and she shared with me, it says, cease striving and know that I am God. 
I have no idea why, but that just radically changed that passage for me because, you know, you can think about being still, right? Unless you're two, you can really be still. And so you think about being still, but then cease striving is another sense of being still that, that really changed and resonated in my spirit when I was thinking about, I'm always trying to do stuff. So being still is not necessarily just sitting down and waiting on God, but it's, it's being still and cease striving and, and going when God leads and being content when God has you in a waiting pattern, right? And so today, as I lead into that, it's really trusting and following what, the, what God speaks and what God teaches. One of the passages of Scripture that I've really committed to in my life that, that I've tried to just pray and try to, to look at and, and try to just believe in my own heart and my own spirit is, is Ephesians 3.21. And so 20 and 21. So it says this. It says, uh, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout generations forever and ever. Amen. And I read that passage. I pray that passage in my life. As you think about someone that has the responsibility that God has blessed with to get resources overseas, to hear what God is doing, but also to hear the great need that is over there and the constant reminder and the constant need to pray that God can do big things. But here's my problem. I don't believe that. There are many days that I do not believe that God will do abundantly more than I ask or think. And I got to own that. I got I to gotta own the fact of where I'm at. But now think about this. So why? Let's read. And what we're going to do is we're basically going to read this passage. And then we're going to go back and we're going to read what Paul laid into this thing. And how he brought and prepared his reader, how he brought the church of Ephesus to understand what he meant by this verse. Because I can take this verse out of context and just read it just like this. And I can apply it to my own life and in my own way. But, but Paul had a prayer leading up to this that would give us the power to believe it and to live it and to be it. So let's think about it. So now to him who is able, here's my problem. I'm able. If, I, if, I'm, if I'm honest with myself, I am able. How oftentimes do I try to go do things in my own strength and in my own way and in my own pursuits as opposed to saying, okay, now he is able. To do what? To do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. Well, what am I asking or thinking about? Or even more than that, am I even asking or thinking? How oftentimes do we sit there and think about, you know, God, we want you to do big things, but guess what? I've never even asked him. Have I ever asked him to supply the need? When there's twenty-five to 30,000 people every day in China coming to faith in Christ, think about that. The church is growing at about 9 to 10 million people, believers, a year. That how, the house church movement is truly a movement of God. And then when I pray and I think, God, can they get the Bibles that they need? Can they get the training that they need? Can they get what they need? Can I be a part of that? But have I asked him? Have I truly asked him to supply their needs in a way that would be a miracle to them and, and be a visible miracle for me? And guys, I've seen things. Sometimes in my own life, if, if I'm truly honest with you, I feel like the Israelites, where that I've, I've been removed and taken out of Egypt. I, you know, God parts the Red Sea, and I go across, and I come through, and then immediately what do I do? I live in unbelief. I've seen God do incredible things. I hear stories every week of incredible movements of God. But yet sometimes I don't think he can do the, all that I ask or think. 
But I truly believe because for many times, it's because I'm not asking the right things and I'm not thinking the right things. But then according to the power at work within us, the problem for many of us is that when we are saved and we are empowered and emboldened by the Holy Spirit, what begins to happen is we begin to choke out the work of the Spirit through our sin. And we begin to, to live in the thorns and the thistles as you think about the seed, right? And how we live and how we want to be led by the Spirit. We want to hear the Spirit speaking to us and calling to us and drawing us out. But yet so oftentimes our sin chokes out the work and the voice of God within us. But it says, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations. Simple thing there. I want Matt Hearn's glory. I don't want God's glory. And how many times do we sit there and pursue maybe what, how we can be elevated, how we can be uplifted into a way of, of significance and prominence? It doesn't start out as, as something of danger, right? You want to, as men, you want to have a career, you want to work hard, you want to pursue godly things, but you also want to move up, you want to have status. But, but all of a sudden, before you know it, that has become your God. And you're seeking your own glory in your own way. And so, you know, we think about this. So how can we read this passage? At the end, what I want to do, I want to go through this. I want to talk about it. I want to encourage you with some incredible stories that God is doing through some of our partners. But then I want to come back and I want to read this together out loud. And I pray that God will will be able to to open our hearts to what Paul's telling us and how we can truly live in this truth. So before we do that, let's pray together real quick and just pray for the Holy Spirit to speak to our hearts. Father, we thank you so much for the blessing and the opportunity to believe that, God, you are able to do far more abundantly with all that we ask or think, that, God, you can receive the glory, the honor, and that, God, we can be used by you in extraordinary ways for no other person, for no other reason than to give you glory and to grow your kingdom. Father, we love you and we thank you for Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. All right. So if we take this back, we have to hit the rewind button. So we go back, and we go back to verse 14. And he talks about the, and and Paul begins by writing, he says, for this reason. And so you think, okay, well, a lot's happened up until this point in the chapter. But let's just get a, a big view of it. What has happened? Basically, Paul opens up and he talks about, we've been adopted as sons and daughters into the kingdom of God in Ephesians chapter 1. Why is that significant? Why is that important? Well, the reality is because we didn't deserve that adoption because when you read chapter 2, what happened? We were dead in our trespasses and sins, and we were separated from God. And so, but then what happened after that? But Ephesians verses 4 and 5, But God, who being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. The greatest but in all of history is in Ephesians 2, 4. And so you think about how God is working and God is using that and how we've been building. And then he goes into the later in chapter 2, one of the greatest barriers I love in, in 2.14. It says, for he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two so making peace bringing unity in the body of Christ, as we can see. And so then he goes on in chapter 3, talking about the mystery of the gospel, then going out to the Gentiles and going to all people. Now, all of these great things that God is doing for this reason, when God does something big, guess what? We are to respond. When God brings life into the deadness that was us before we came to faith in Christ, 
We are not to live in, in this new life and do nothing with it. Now, what many people want to do is they want to manu- manufacture legalism out of that response. Well, you need to do this. Well, because now you've been saved, so you've got to do X, Y, and Z in order to be able to live still saved in that realm. Or you need to do these sort of things so God can be pleased with you. I'm going to tell you what, God cannot be any more pleased with you or any less pleased with you than he is already. You have been saved. You are saints. You have been washed clean by the blood of Jesus Christ, and that is what the Lord sees. But God still has a plan for us to live out his glory here on earth. Why? For others to see, for others to be saved, and for the kingdom of God to grow. And so when we read this, for this reason, what is our response? I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with the power through his spirit in your hearts through faith. I want to stop there because I want to unpack a couple things that are right there in that passage. And when we think about this whole idea of coming to believe in that message, believing that God can do immeasurably more than all that we ask or think in our lives and in and around us through this church and and through the community at large, you know, you got to think, God has to first work and strengthen within us, as that passage of Scripture says. And I think it also brings us into light three different things in that passage that challenges how do we grow within. One of them is prayer. One of them is knowing our identity. And the other one is is the building of our faith. And I put all these three up here because I believe they all are intertwined with one another and they all work together. Because you think about prayer. The prayer is identifying and coming and surrendering to the fact that there is somebody that I need to go to for answers. There's somebody that I need to go to for guidance. There's somebody that I need to go to and that I need to connect with. And then when we go to them, what happens in that? We begin to recognize and understand who our identity is in Christ but also our identity that we are not Christ because sometimes we want to be the Lord of our own life and prayer and bowing and getting on our knees and changing our posture can change our perspective. And so you think about that and you think about what we're doing and then it's building our faith. Guys, think about this for a minute. When, when you pray, when God answers your prayers, that's faith building. But when God doesn't answer your prayers, that's faith refining. So you think about how God refines your faith. Why does God not answer your prayers sometimes? Because that's not God's will for your life, and that's not the path. Do we believe that God has a better direction and a better path for us? Absolutely. So when we, when we begin to have our faith refined, it's when we think about that whole idea of, of more than we ask or think, that helps to refine what are we really asking for? What are we really thinking about when it comes to the kingdom of God and what is he going to do in our life? And so we think about that. So I want to stop and I want to tell you a story. So there's a pastor in India, one that we support. And so several years ago, he was pastoring and planning a church in an area where they were making animal sacrifices to their gods. Very, very pagan culture. Very, very hard time for this pastor to be able to help try to plant his church. And while he was there, we had an opportunity to go some training that we have for him. Because he just needed, a lot of times training overseas is really about encouraging and building up. And this guy just really needed some, some energy poured into him. Well, the conference was on prayer. So he went, he went to this conference and he spent time learning about the power of prayer and how he needed to be praying more and how, honestly, in, in reality, as we all would get to sometimes, probably the, the shock and awe of, man, I don't pray enough. And then when he came back, he was so convicted, he would spend four hours a day up on a hill praying to God. And then the people that he began to, to minister to and speak to that were part of his church, he began to start a prayer movement in his village. 
And it's where years later, every day, people for 30 minutes to an hour would go up on this hill and they would begin to pray. Not only would they pray for the people in their community and the church that they had planted there that was beginning to grow, but then they began to pray for other villages and other tribes in the other area. So now I'm going to freak you out. So do you believe that the God of the book of Acts is alive today? All right, well, let me tell you why. Because simply because they began to pray for these different villages in different areas. But not only did they pray, they went. Guys, too often times we can get on our knees and change our posture, which changes our perspective, but it does not change our position and where we go. So we need to go. And so you think about, so they begin to pray, then they begin to go. They went into one village, and in the village they were going and trying to evangelize to the different people and share the gospel. And in that cult, and it just they were very skeptical. What are you doing? Why are you coming over here? And then they just began to minister to people. And then they found out there was a lame man in the village. So what did the book of Acts do, right? Well, what do you do when you go into a new, a new place in the book of Acts? What did the apostles do? Well, they went and healed people and they shared the gospel, and then people got saved. What do you think they did? They went and laid hands on this gentleman. He began to get feeling in his legs. And he went to bed that night. He woke up the next day. He was healed. They planted a church in the village into where now there's a church that's growing and thriving in that area. But then he wasn't done. He's like, wow, if God can do that, what else can he do? Well, they found out from other folks there was another village very close by. And it had a brothel. It had about 16 or 17 prostitutes that were, they were having an, making an income through the selling of themselves. And so they began to pray for that community. They began to pray for that brothel. They began to pray that God would, would destroy that place and to get rid of it. So they began to pray. And then a, a few weeks went by. I think he said it was close to a month. And then he said he, he got a call. People came up and they said, we don't understand what's going on. There's just this heavy weight of darkness that we feel in our village. Can you and your wife come and share the good news that you share with others? And so they came. They came to the village Guys, let's just put it this way. There's no brothel. There are no more prostitutes in that village. Twelve of them got saved. Others are still in a process of healing, but there is no brothel. So they got rid of it. And you know what this made me think of? When I heard that story, the first thing that it made me think of is Love Life Charlotte. Now, what is their motto? They want to end abortion in Charlotte, right? Right? All right, now, how many of you hear that and you say, whatever? How many? I do sometimes. But I heard that message, and I, and I heard that story about what God had done over there, and it helped me believe in my spirit. When those guys say that we're going to end abortion in Charlotte, I think that God is able. Amen? So be encouraged by the ministry that's being, that has spawned out of this church that is, is going out and going to different places. And those, Andre and, and, and Justin are incredible men. I know there's many more, but, but for those guys, just that, 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 that story just really pierced my heart as I was thinking about that and thinking about them and what they were doing. And so my PowerPoint went away. And we are almost back. But anyway, I, I can go this far until that decides it wants to work again. But if you read the next passage, so you think about the prayer, you think about how we are to build our faith and we are to be strengthened inside of ourselves. So that, that, is, our, that is our first focus. But then when we read the next passage, it says what? So that, that you being rooted and grounded in love. So when you think about being rooted and grounded in love, that's that layer that we build our faith upon. It's the love that, that which is not, you know, how do we know what love is? Not that we love God, but what? But that he loved us. 
and gave his only son so that we could be saved. And so we think about that's what we build our faith upon, and that's what we, we do in that passage. And so I'm going to pull the passage up when I find you. where you fall deeper and then this. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. So you think about how we are to not only receive the word of God, but we're also to do something with the word of God and, and, and what that means. But too often times, we're not willing to walk through doors. We're not willing to walk through things and walk through life that God shows us. One of the stories that, that I want to share with you now is, is there was a pastor down in Ethiopia. His name's Tamaru. And so Tamaru was living in this village in this area. And actually, he didn't have anything to do with what was going on in this area. There were these Muslim sheiks, and there was a witch doctor that were in this community, and they were having like a little feud. And so the Muslims were actually, they would go on their intercoms and they would, you know, as they call out to prayer in these villages in the areas, well, they would go out and they would call, call out and say bad things about the witch doctor. And the witch doctor would then go and he would sow seeds of strife into the village in the different area. And they had this tension and they had this war going on that was, that was in there. And so the Muslim sheiks went to the Christian, to, to the pastor in the area, and they said, will you help us get rid of the witch doctor and get him out of the community? Now, what would normally happen for some of us? The temptation for us to be like, I'm not helping you. You're not worthy of my help. You're not even a Christian. How oftentimes do we do that with people? We reject an opportunity to walk through the door that God has opened up for us because we want to cast judgment on the person that may have helped open the door for us. But the reality is we're not responsible for who's opening and shutting that door. We're responsible to God for walking through and being obedient. Because guess what can happen? Because Tamaru ended up going through this process he began to sit down. He began to meet with several Muslim sheiks in this community and village. And guess what? Two of them came to accept Christ. And they walked away from the Muslim faith, and they came to accept Jesus Christ as Lord. All because he was faithful to them. Oh, and by the way, the witch doctor left because they began to pray. And he left the community, he left the village, and he's gone. So there's no more strife. So you think about, do you believe that God can do big things? But do we believe in, as you've received Christ, walk in him. What has God opened up for you in your life that maybe you're not ready to walk through that door yet? Maybe you're looking at it and you're evaluating all of your options. You're, you're caught in this analytical world of could I, shouldn't I, maybe, I don't know. Let me weigh the options. Let me flip a coin. I didn't like the answer. Let me flip it again. And then you keep going. Maybe I'll flip next week. You know, whatever. You're just continuing to delay being obedient to what God has you to do. But God is going to do incredible, incredible things. So let's keep reading. So he says here, so he says that in, in verse, he said, so that, no, wait a minute, hold on. That according to the riches of his glory, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. So you think about that word comprehend there is actually used one of the time in the New Testament in John chapter 1 where it talks about the, the, the light, in, the, that Jesus is the light, and in him there is no darkness. It says, the, but the darkness has not overcome it in John chapter 1 verse 5. So it says the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The word overcome is the same word that is used here to comprehend. 
So when you think about the word comprehend here, it really has a, a, the meaning of take hold of it, to grip it. But you know the darkness wants to dominate and eliminate the light. So it's, there's a level of intensity here that Paul's writing, that Paul's talking about for us to grab hold. And what's he doing it for? What's he trying to get us to understand? And here he's trying to get us to understand that we have to take hold of the truth. But here we think in, in, in verse Wi-Fi slow. Just saying. So to me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles to the unsearch in the, the unsearchable riches of Christ. So you think about it. many times, many people, if you're seasoned in your faith, many times we think that there's really nothing left to learn. Or that we think that we know everything. Well, I've read through the Bible several times. I know what it says. I can actually spit out a few passages of Scripture. But the reality is we are always learning. We are always growing. And the, the riches of his glory are immeasurable. And we will never know until the other side of eternity when we will see in full, no longer in part, and we will be overwhelmed. But don't get apathetic and don't get stagnant in your, in your faith. Because what God is challenging us and teaching us and drawing us to him it's really incredible what he's doing and how he's doing it. And in order to do that, we have to pursue, we have to follow. So I want to tell you another story. There's a guy named London, L-U-N-D-A-N. And I'm probably not even pronouncing that right, but he's from India. So London was actually uh, a, a guy in, the, in his village, in his area. They had a brewery there. He liked his brew. They, didn't like, they really liked to enjoy their kind of fellowship. Well, all of a sudden, a guy named Jumanjo came in. And like, just think Jumanji, the game right? Which they're remaking that movie. It's going to be awkward, but anyway. So you'll see the preview if you go see Spider-Man. All right. But so Jumanjo was coming in as a missionary coming into the village and Jumanjo wanted to share the gospel. The problem with London was that London was, was also was very, very protective of his village and his various, and his people. And he didn't like Jumanjo. And so London was actually a, a very, very nasty guy. Believe it, the people in the village that were Christians that received Jumanjo were praying for London. But they said their prayer was different. They prayed for God to either save him or remove him. And they really didn't care how he was removed. Death or travel, either one, they wanted him gone because he was that much of a disruption. It was really much a, a guy that would, that would persecute Christians, attack them, go after them. He didn't like them. But he was also had a really bad skin disease. And so he began to, to, to really, it was basically kind of like a leprosy, but his skin began to get hard. And there would be days where he would just kind of stiffen up and he couldn't move and he couldn't walk and he couldn't do things and he'd be laid up in bed. And the village doctors in the area, see, they're not blessed with doctors that we have here. So over there, they, they'll look at you and, and they maybe subscribe some home remedies, some different things, but they can't. The reason why God does miraculous healings around the world that we might not see here sometimes is because God's miraculous healing here can be through the hands of a wise physician. And over there, they don't have that physician, so God just go ahead and takes care of that. And so, but you think about over there, so when, when Jumanjo came in one day, London wanted to hurt him, but London was too sick to even do anything about it. So, but what does Jumanjo do? Somebody told him about him. So Jumanjo went over to London and said, you need to pray and you need to ask Jesus to heal you. And he said, who is this Jesus? What are you talking about? And he began to share. But he was still kind of cold, he was still bitter, and he was still frustrated. And so when he was in there during that time, and so Jumanjo left, and he said, whatever you do, you need to ask Jesus to heal you. So Jumanjo, or, or London got a little bit better a day or two later, and then he began to walk to the next village over. 
But he, as he was walking to the next village over to see the next doctor, he's like, you know what? Who is this Jesus? And he said, Jesus, I want you to heal me. Jesus, heal me. And he said he repeated it over and over again until he got to the doctor. And then he got to the doctor. The doctor said, I mean, there's really nothing I can do for you, but I can give you a little bit of pain medicine to help you with the pain. And he's like, well, give me the pain medicine, but I, I believe this Jesus is going to heal me. And so he went home that night, still wasn't healed, had some pain reliever, so he was a little bit a little more relaxed than he was on the way out probably, coming back in. But he said, he said that night, he said God touched him and God healed him. He is now the pastor in this village of 70 people because of what God has done in his life. How awesome is that? So let me tell you another one. So in Ethiopia, about four years ago, we got a, we got a call from some of our leaders over there. They're asking us to help plant. God was raising up his people and leading his people into faith in Christ. And so they said, but we need more pastors. We need more leaders. So we, we helped them. So we sent in 550 pastors at $50 a month. Now, when I say we send in pastors, it's national pastors. It's where God's raised up Ethiopians in the area and then to go in to minister and to plant churches. We got, so that was three, four years ago. We, got, we told, were told last month they have planted over 3,000 churches. That is in a Romo tribal region, which is heavily Muslim populated. Now, these churches average anywhere from 60 to even there are some churches up to 400 people. So you can imagine if you do the math how many people have come to faith in Christ. But you say, how? Right? Immeasurably more, right? Embracing the truth. What does that mean? So there was a Muslim sheikh that was in the area. He was over 147 mosques. And he was in the area. He just very much, he actually boasted in the fact that there were 42 new converts to Christ that he went out and pursued and brought them back to, to Islamic faith and brought them back to the faith. He was pursuing against and fighting against the churchgoers. Well, now there was one I would call her the Ethiopian Ashley, which is my wife, but it was a guy, so that's kind of awkward. It's kind of like the State Farm commercial. She sounds hideous. Well, he's a guy, so. Um, but anyway, they could sing. I can't, she can. There you go. That's the only connection, so just forget I said that. Anyway, so this guy would travel. He was a traveling evangelist, but he would go and sing in different areas and different villages. Well, this, this guy, the Muslim sheik, did not like what he was doing because he was going and pulling out people from his, from his mosques. And so what did he decide to do? What normally most of us would do, right? Throw him in a big ditch and hope that he dies or hopes that he gets stranded. And he did. A real Jacob story, but luckily the blessing was that he wasn't hurt, the guy that got thrown in. But he was taken to jail, the Muslim sheik, and he was put in prison. And so he went and he asked, and he was like, okay, all right, how do I get out of this? And so he's like, bring the guy that I threw in the ditch. Let me talk to him. So he's wanting to weasel his way out of it. So the guy came up to, came to the jail, and he asked him, he said, let him go. I forgive him. I'll take care of him. Let me, let me work with him. Let me talk to him. And the Muslim sheik was just like, what is wrong with you? And so that began a relationship. Immediately, a wall was torn down between him and the Christian, and he began to start asking questions. In, in the Muslim faith, it is very hard for new converts to happen overnight. It's a process. It takes time. And so they spent a year together just ministering and talking to one another. And eventually he came to know Jesus Christ. Now that's not even the, the coolest part. So remember when I said he was over 147 mosques? 92 of the mosque leaders of the 147 have now come to faith in Christ. So you think about what God is doing and you wonder how can he do all of these great things? And you think, okay, 
can he do immeasurably, immeasurably more than all that we ask or think? And you hear these messages, and, and, then, and then we go on, and we, and we finish with this, this last verse. And it says, that you may be filled with the fullness of God. And you think about, what does that mean? So, so we've talked about the different things of, about how we're to grow in our faith, to be strengthened from within, to fall deeper in love with Jesus, to ha- take hold of the truth, walk in that truth, share that truth, and let God do what he will choose to do with that truth, and then to be filled with the Spirit. And being filled with the Spirit, I think, leads us in two different ways that we need to think about. One is John ten twenty seven. It says, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And then the other one that I was going to show you, but for whatever reason it's not connecting, is Ephesians 5.18. It says, before I misquote it, it says, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. And so when you think about that, and when you think about what does that mean, anything that for you that can pull you away from being filled with the Spirit. For some, it, it, may be, it may be wine to, to a level that is dangerous and unhealthy. For others, maybe, maybe it be whatever you're looking at on the computer screen. For some, it may be your career. And believe it or not, mom, some of you, it may be your kids. What are you replacing? What are you idolizing above God? What are you, what are you choosing to fill yourself with? What hope is in you that, that, is being, that is replacing being filled with the Spirit? And so we look at that and we think about how God is working and how God is using that and being how we need to be filled with the Spirit because guess what? The Spirit of God wants to speak to us. And I think the Spirit of God has spoken to several people. Four, about four years ago, I was over in China. And actually, my wife was with me on this one. And then when we went over there, we went out and, and we were just, I mean, way out inland China. We, we got cars and we rode out and then we turned off on a dirt road and you think you're almost there and then two hours later down the dirt road, you park your car and then you have to walk up a mountain because you can't get there by car. So we're in inland China. And then we get there and we get to this, we have this little, little house, dirt floors, that one little electric light like that. And then we got there and there was just all these pastors and, and different folks from all the surrounding villages that had come in and come there and they had come together. And then we began to eat together and pray together. But what I remember the most was this one lady that was there. And they began to tell the story about how out, out, out in that village area, you know, some of these pastors, their church was burned down. The authorities had come in, they had destroyed their church, and they had gotten, and they'd gotten rid of it. And they were talking about where they wanted to, to set up their next church. So, it, but for many of these folks, it's usually in homes. But luckily for this one, it was in, another, it was in a, a vacant building that they had. So you think about if you had small groups, right? And, and, and you, were, you were at Pastor Jeff's house, and he had a small group. Well, the authorities came in and burnt his house down for having that small group. Now, are you going to be the first one to say, okay, well, let's do it at my house next week? No, right? So they needed another place to go. They needed another place to have a meeting place. Well, this lady stepped up, and they said she gave $1,000 in order for them to find a new, a church, new church home. Now, the average income in this community is five to $600 a year. She's like, why does why she give that money? First off, she's a single mom, and her son has just gone into ministry. Why is that important? Because over in China, they don't really have 401Ks. They don't have retirement accounts. What they have is their children. So for many of these people, they raise up their children. They send their children into the cities. They go, and they work, and, and they make money, and then they send money back to their mom, and they take care of their mom and their dad. That's their retirement is their children. 
So when her son surrendered his life into the ministry, she recognized and understood she was surrendering her retirement fund. But she still, but when I met with her afterwards and she began to talk to me and tell me the story, just tears were running down her face and she was just sharing the story. But she was like, Matt, I would do it all over again because God is faithful. You talk about a woman that would be led by the Spirit, to be filled by the Spirit, to be able to, to, be able to do miraculous things and be generous with what so little she had in order to help and build the kingdom of God. And then the last thing I just I want to share with you is just this one story. There was a guy, he was, where was he? I've got to check my notes. He was in Ethiopia. And this guy had a dream because God loves to speak to us in different ways. When you think about being filled by the Spirit, how does God speak to us? Well, this guy, he, he went to sleep one night and he had a dream. And he dreamed, in his dream, he was going into a village and going to an area. And when he got there, all of a sudden he was surrounded in, in, in a group with different Christians. And they were talking and he freaked out. He said, what in the world am I doing here with all these people? And as he turned to leave, a ring of fire came around him. And in that ring of fire, and he woke up in just in a sheer panic. And so the next day, my man gets up and goes to the next village as he was going over there to do some work. And he said he walked up on a group of people. He's like, what are these people doing here? This is kind of out of the ordinary. It was a Christian conference. And he said he turned around to leave. And the minute he turned, he turned around, he saw this ring of fire. And he said the last thing he remembered is laying down on the ground with pastors standing over him and looking at him. And the pastor said as he left, he began to convulse as if some kind of demon was, was freaked out that was inside of him. But he said when they laid hands on him and prayed for him, when he woke up, he had never experienced such peace. And so the people that were there, they were a little freaked out because he probably was possessed by a demon and was just healed. They felt like, man, we maybe just need to send him off some better training, right? Well, we have a training center in Ethiopia that they sent him to. And we, 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 do, we build training centers all over the place to train people for situations like this. Those people that come to experience Christ in a miraculous way that, that need to be trained, they need to be sent out and built. And when I thought about that, I thought about you, and I thought about the journey you're heading on with your new location. Guys, we have training centers in, in Vietnam, in Ethiopia, in China, in India, in Israel. We're all over. God is doing extraordinary things. But do you believe that when you move into your new building, that God can do immeasurably more than all that you ask or think? Do you believe that if Pastor Jeff is, is encouraging you to help, you know, to, to, to get into this new building, believe me, he would probably be wanting to raise more money for different things in, in different ways. But at the end of the day, building projects are never fun. But what God can do through the building and through what he has is extraordinary. We've been able to see it firsthand with the ministry centers that we've built around the world and how God is churning out thousands of pastors and leaders and reaching millions for the sake of Christ. Well, if God can do that over there, why is he not gonna do it here? And so I just encourage you with excitement as you guys look to this new, new facility that you're gonna have to use, believe that God is going to do big things through it. So would you stand with me to stand together? We're gonna read this again because I believe that God's shown us something miraculously different than where we started. And, and I pray that together as we read this, that we believe this and that we will be used by God to be strengthened, that we will be used by God to fall more in love with him. We will be used by God to be drawn into his truth, to grab a hold of it and to live it out. And then more importantly, we be filled with the spirit so that we can transform Cornelius, Huntersville, the surrounding areas. And even if you can, 
If you want to help, we've got lots of needs around the world. You can always find me out there and get some of our information. Pray for the countries around the world. You can help give for those countries around the world. And you can help tell others about what God is doing from around the world. But let's read this together. Let's believe this together. And I believe Jeff's going to lead us in worship together. So let's start. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all the generations forever and ever.